Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath. And I just want to say that it is a very much a privilege for me to be back at Advent Hope this weekend, especially considering this is the 10-year anniversary. And I had the privilege of being one of the people who was part of the group when we started. And last night we had our Friday night vespers, and it was so great to hear Trudy give some of the history, Stephen Waterbrook and Doug Plata, and then others, Jason Shives. And it's definitely been a homecoming, a reunion, and a small little foretaste of what heaven will be like. And just a few other preliminaries. As Angie mentioned, um, we are moving from Trinidad to Tennessee. In fact, we flew back from Trinidad on Wednesday and got on a plane Thursday evening and flew from Nashville to LAX. And so we're a little jet lagged. It's four hours ahead in Trinidad. Fortunately, it's gone better than anticipated. And little Sarah Lynn, this is her first trip to Loma Linda. She's in the back row, or maybe she's out with her grandmother. But we're all glad to be here. Joelle's back. We're just really happy to be in Loma Linda this weekend. And my friends in Trinidad, they asked me to send greetings to them in my first sermon back in the United States. Some of them listened to Audioverse. So to my friends in Trinidad, I miss you. And it was a great experience. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father in heaven, we thank you for your leading and guiding in this ministry, but we know at the end of the day, this is your work. It hasn't been the work of any human. It has been the work of God, and we just thank you for that. And I pray that you will be with us in the next few minutes as we recount how you have led us and where you are taking us. This is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm looking at the clock. I have more than 15 minutes, do I not? Okay. I, I didn't want to give a 15-minute sermon today, today. Is that all right? Okay. I want to start off with a quote. And this would be a quote that probably most of us know, and it would almost be predictable for the occasion today. And it's from Life Sketches, page 196, where Ellen White says, in reviewing our past history, having traveled over every step of advance to our present standing, I can say, praise God. As I see what the Lord has wrought, I am filled with astonishment and with confidence in Christ as leader. Is Christ your leader? Amen. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. And when we look at how God has led, there's two elements for this weekend that we can look at. We can look at how God has led the Second Advent Movement. But we also look at how he has led Advent Hope, for which I believe very strongly is part of the Second Advent Movement. And there's a key point to this quote. First of all, when we look at how we have traveled over every step, we can say, praise God. And we also can have confidence in Christ as our leader. Christ is the one who leads us. And, you know, that's why we are here. 
That's why we do ministry. That's why when Advent Hope was started, and there were, we heard about it last night, there was a group at Redlands, there was a group at Chinese Church, and then people from those t- two groups kind of came together and started Advent Hope. The reason why that happened is because there was a deep love for Jesus Christ. Amen. Realizing that Jesus is our leader and that he has pointed us to truths for our time to take us to the second coming. So when we get to the statement that says we have nothing to fear for the future, there is a condition to that statement. And there's actually two conditions that if those conditions aren't met, we should actually become afraid. And I don't want that point to be lost. Because a lot of times we'll read this statement and we'll say, oh, God has led us. He'll always lead us. We're just going to keep following God no matter what without realizing that there are specific conditions to the fulfillment of that statement. And what is it that she said? Except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. There's the history of our movement, and there's the teaching of our movement, and the two are inseparable. So in other words, you can't say, I am a Seventh-day Adventist. God has led us, but I am going to ignore the teachings and the doctrines that have made us as a people for who we are. That will not lead us to the second coming, because Only when we remember our history and God's leading in our history and also the teachings that he used to raise our movement up and only as we are faithful to those teachings, that is when we will continue to receive God's blessing. And so as we come here to this 10-year reunion, I just want to start this message off by saying, look, God has led in the history of Advent Hope. There is no question about that. We started with 20 people in a small little room, and now we have hundreds of people coming. And the purpose of Advent Hope is to follow Christ our leader with the teachings that he has entrusted us with to take us from here to the heavenly Canaan. Now, As part of my message, I just wanted to give a brief history of my own personal testimony. Some of the others shared theirs last night. You know, when I came here to Loma Linda, I came here 23 years old. Well, I was pretty young then. (laughs) Man, I miss, sometimes I miss those days of being 23. I'm not quite that young anymore. Um, And when I came here, I came from Southern Adventist University and I'd gone through our school system all the way through, received a perfectly good education, but I would say that my focus was on getting that degree at the end of four years and we'll see where I go from there. I had no intention when I came here to Loma Linda of becoming heavily involved in ministry. School was my focus and outside of school, Things like sports were my hobby that took up the rest of my time. I didn't study the Bible a whole lot. I knew the basic teachings. But in my first year of medical school, 
And we talked about this a little bit last night about how the Chinese church had something going on. That is where I was exposed specifically to Peter Gregory, how to study your Bible. There was a, a weekend retreat at Pine Springs Ranch. And all of those things started coming together and I was like, wow, if I can study the Bible the way I study for medical school, I might actually learn some things that will help me to defend my faith. <laughs> and you know, for those of you who are students here today, it is possible to make time for the study of God's word and still do well in your schoolwork. And so I would challenge you to do that. As time, and then that very year, towards the end of my first year, I started, started studying more fully. And then in, it was the beginning of my second year of medical school that 9-11 happened. And it was right around then that Stephen Waterbrook was talking about getting a Sabbath school on campus. And within a few months, we had Advent Hope and I somehow became part of the team, and we really coalesced together to have a Sabbath school that would be a ministry that would be dedicated to the proclamation of the love of Jesus in harmony with the three angels' messages of Revelation 14 to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. And I hope that that will always be the vision of Advent Hope. Now, when we talk about having nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history, let's just briefly review the key teachings how God has led us as a movement. And they are the five S doctrines. The Sabbath, the sanctuary, the state of the dead, the spirit of prophecy, and the second coming. Now, if you want to take a look at the history of Adventism, find any group that has wandered away from the Adventist message, and you will find that they have attacked at least one of these five doctrines. Once you start attacking one, everything else will start to crumble along with it. So that, and, and here's, here's a little clue, the first one that usually gets attacked is the spirit of prophecy. You start attacking the spirit of prophecy, and then the next thing that starts happening, you start questioning the sanctuary message, and before you know it, you're questioning the Sabbath message, and before you know it, you're becoming open to beliefs and theological viewpoints that have nothing to do with the truth that God has used to raise this movement up, and before you know it, you've left the faith. And so we have nothing to fear for the future, but I do become afraid when people start to minimize any one of those five core doctrines. And if you see that happening, that should be cause for concern. Those are the messages that God used to raise up our church. And let me just run through some of these briefly. And what I'm going to do is sort of a two-part message here. We're going to talk about the core doctrines that God has used, but then we're going to focus in especially on the second coming and the last part of our message. The Sabbath message, of course, we understand. Yes, Scripture says the Lord made earth in six days. He rested on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath that God is the creator and that we worship him on the seventh day as a memorial of his creation. And it's no wonder that when people start attacking our doctrines, you'll start to hear people questioning the literal six-day creation. 
And again, the Sabbath is tied to creation. So if the earth was created over long ages of time, what does the literal seventh-day Sabbath mean? Nothing. So the seventh-day Sabbath that we are worshiping on today, we can have confidence to know that sometime about 6,000 years ago, this was the very same day in the weekly cycle that God rested. Not only that, the Sabbath is a sign that God is the one who sanctifies us. And Ellen White even says in Desire of Ages, page 283, that in order to keep the Sabbath holy, men must themselves be holy. So a lot of times we do, we do a disservice to our young people and how we teach them about the Sabbath. We teach them the Sabbath is a day that you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go there, you can't be here, you can't do all of these things. And we miss out on the fact that the Sabbath is supposed to be a sign of our standing with God. That it's supposed to be the one day in the week that we can put everything aside and spend time with our best friend Jesus Christ, who is our leader. But if Jesus isn't our friend, and if he isn't our leader, we will just see the Sabbath as a burdensome day that we can't do all the things that we enjoy doing during the week because Jesus isn't really our best friend. So then we have to make up for that by watching TV and doing this and that and all sorts of things that are what we really enjoy. And then the Sabbath becomes a day that we can't do the things we wish we could do. But if Jesus is our best and dearest friend, We'll have sweet communion and sweet fellowship with him all week long. And on the seventh day of the week, we don't have to worry about any outside distractions. So the Sabbath, that is a key part of our faith. And then the sanctuary message. What about that sanctuary message? We believe as Seventh-day Adventists that on October 22, 1844, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our leader, entered into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. Now, <clears throat> I guess I'm going to speak a little bit straight today. Is that all right? <clears throat> there are people that are out there that are talking about, and, and I think they're well-meaning, they're talking about celebrating the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And let me just tell you, if you want to celebrate the supremacy of Jesus Christ in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, go to where he is right now in heaven. And oftentimes when you listen to these people, they talk about Jesus, but they say nothing about what he is doing right now. Let me just read you a statement, a couple of statements. First one is from Great Controversy, page, pages 488-489. Here Ellen White says, the sanctuary in heaven is the very center of Christ's work in behalf of men. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. And then going on in page 49, she says, the intercession of Christ in man's behalf in the sanctuary above is as essential to the plan of salvation as was his death upon the cross. Now let me say this. We're not here to put down the cross. No, no, no. We are here to exalt Jesus high and lifted up on the cross of Calvary. And if you study the scripture carefully, you will find that the cross of Calvary points you to the heavenly sanctuary. You see Jesus' death for you on the cross, his all-sufficient sacrifice. But not only that, 
you see that he is your great high priest who as the perfect sacrifice has ascended to heaven whoever lives to make intercession for you and he was tempted in all points like as you are so that he can be a merciful and faithful high priest and then I really like this quote this is life sketches page 278 Ellen White says as a people we should be earnest students of prophecy. We should not rest until we become intelligent in regard to the subject of the sanctuary, which is brought out in the visions of Daniel and John. So in other words, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you can't give a Bible study on the sanctuary, you aren't done with your Bible study for yourself yet. And if you've been an Adventist for a year, okay, well, we'll give you some time, and that's fine. Praise the Lord, we're glad to have you in our, in our message. But if you've been a Seventh-day Adventist for 20, 30, 40 years, and you still are where you were when you first became a member, something went wrong. And that's why we pray by the grace of God, Advent Hope will be a place that when you come to, you will be motivated to learn about Jesus more and more and to study more for yourself. Amen. And then she goes on to say, our faith in reference to the messages, this is the same quote, our faith in reference to the messages of the first, second, and third angels was correct. The great way marks we have passed are immovable. Although the hosts of hell may try to tear them from their foundation and triumph in the thought that they have succeeded, yet they do not succeed. These pillars of truth stand firm as the eternal hills unmoved by all the efforts of men combined with those of Satan and his host. You know, you can have all the efforts of men in combination with the efforts of Satan to try to t tear down the pillars of our faith. And you've seen that in the history of this movement. Back in the 1980s, Desmond Ford came in. He tried to say that the sanctuary message that we had always taught wasn't legitimate. You know what? No matter what men may say, there is no power. Although the host of hell may try to tear them from their foundation, they do not succeed. Our message is as firm and true as it has always been, and our message is the message that points to Jesus Christ and what he is doing for us right now in the sanctuary in heaven. The state of the dead should be a pretty straightforward one. I don't know of too many Seventh-day Adventists who believe that when we die, we go straight to heaven. Um, but you know, the, the doctrine of the state of the dead is connected to spiritualism if you have the wrong understanding of it. And believe it or not, there are subtle or less than subtle forms of spiritualism that are entering into our beloved church. You may have heard our general conference president, Ted Wilson, speak about this in his inaugural address in Atlanta back in 2010. But there's this movement that has been entering in, in various places. It's called the Emerging Church Movement, where they have things like contemplative prayer and spiritual formation and all these kinds of things. And it actually takes you away from Scripture into a, an emotional experience that is not grounded in truth. Stay away from those things. Follow the word of God. The fourth point is the spirit of prophecy. I've mentioned this, and of course, our 
scriptural basis for the spirit of prophecy is in Revelation 12:17 and Revelation 19:10. Revelation 12:17 of course is the famous verse that says and the dragon was wroth with a woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now we want to have the testimony of Jesus Christ, do we not? And it just so happens that in Revelation 19.10, we are told that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 22, I believe verse 9, it says instead of the spirit of prophecy, it talks about the prophets. So the testimony of Jesus is not, as some would say, a testimony about Jesus in your life. According to the book of Revelation, it is the prophetic gift. And we as God's last day people should not be ashamed for a gift that God has given to us. It's a gift. And yet so many times we treat it as if it's something that we should be ashamed of. Don't talk about Ellen White. That's embarrassing. We might offend some people, this, that, whatever. And yes, we need to do it in a tasteful way. But if you have friends that are not of our faith, why don't you take the time to do a study with them to teach them about this beautiful gift rather than trying to run away from it like it's a terrible hot potato? And show them just how Christ-centered her writings really are. Show them the book Steps to Christ, Desire of Ages, and how the matchless charms of Jesus Christ are lifted up. Don't start with maybe a manuscript release that talks about some whatever. You can build up to that point. But don't be ashamed of that gift. In fact, let me just read a couple of quotes about this special gift. This is from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 48. The very last deception of Satan will be to make of none effect the testimony of the Spirit of God. You know, that's an interesting statement. The very last deception will be to make of what? None effect. That doesn't mean that people say, I don't believe in her anymore. That's part of it. But that also means things like, we just don't use her anymore. You never hear her anymore. It's not something that we spend time in our personal lives reading, and so we don't get the blessing and the counsel that God has sent to us to prepare us for the last days. And then... Notice what she says in Testimonies, Volume 4, page 211. It is Satan's plan to weaken the faith of God's people in the testimonies. Next follows skepticism in regard to the vital points of our faith, the pillars of our position, then doubt as to the Holy Scriptures, and then the downward march to perdition. When the testimonies which were once believed are doubted and given up, Satan knows the deceived ones will not stop at this. And then... Selected Messages, Volume 3, pages 83 and 84. Men may get up scheme after scheme, and the enemy will seek to seduce souls from the truth. But all who believe that the Lord has spoken through Sister White and has given her a message will be safe from the many delusions that will come in these last days. I want to be safe from those delusions, amen? And of course, the last gift is the second coming, and we're going to talk about that. But let me just say this again in reference to that original quote. We have nothing to fear for the future, except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history. If we start to forget God's leading in our history, and if we start to discard those key teachings, we should have cause for concern for our movement. 
And I challenge you here at Advent Hope to always stay true to those five core pillar doctrines because those doctrines are part and parcel of who Jesus Christ is and what he is doing in heaven right now. He is the one that gave us these gifts, that gave us these teachings so that we would be ready to meet him when he comes in the clouds of heaven. Now, where is this all going? This is taking us to the second coming, and I want to read one last quote from Ellen White before I get into some Bible passages for the last part of the message. This quote is a challenge to anyone who is still a student here at Loma Linda. So let's just say, okay, we are faithful to the doctrines of our message. Now, so we have an intellectual understanding. But what are we going to do about that? Are we going to sit around and just know the truth and not share it? Notice what Ellen White says in the book, Loma Linda Messages, page 581. And my friend, it's, it's, a, it's a good book. You should read it if you have never read it. And my friend, Tim Arakawa, who regretfully could not be here this weekend. Tim was one of the other directors of Advent Hope. He should at least be mentioned this weekend. He sent me this quote, and as soon as he, he sent it to me, I said, I've got to include this in the message. Here's the quote. The students at Loma Linda are seeking for an education that is after the Lord's order, an education that will help them to develop into successful teachers and laborers for others. When their education there is completed, they should be able to go forth and join the intelligent workers in the world's great harvest fields who are carrying forward the work of reform that is to prepare a people to stand in the day of Christ's coming. So what's the purpose for your education here? It's not to get, and it's good to get a degree I got one, so I'm not putting it down, <laughs> all right? get your degree and do well, but it's not to take your degree and then say, let me go out and try to make as much money as I can and be successful in the things of this world. And on the side, I might think about the Lord a little bit and show up to church once a week and give a little bit of an offering, but the rest of my life will be de dedicated to being successful here on this earth. That is not why you're here at Loma Linda. You are here at Loma Linda to go from here to be part of that last great work to prepare a people to stand in the day of God. See, we have a, an advantage when we get an education, whether it's dentistry, medicine, allied health, that combines the health work with the gospel work, and we can have an extra edge on the entering wedge to give the three angels messages. And so we get this education and this training to do a special work. And, and I can tell you that the temptations will be out there to be successful worldly wise. Many people that you will cross paths with, their focus is not on heaven, it's on this earth. But that's not what we're here for. And again, I hope and pray that Advent Hope will always keep that focus of preparing the students who come through here to have a desire to go from here to take the mission of God to other places. I had the privilege to be in Trinidad for two years and to share the three angels' messages to the people down there. I see Steve is in Ohio starting a group there. Jason and Janelle have been over in Mississippi at Bass Memorial Academy, and there's many others. I, I don't have time to mention all of you, but that just shows that God wants to take people from here and spread them everywhere. And you know, the title of my message is Precious Past, 
glorious future. When we look at the past, it's precious. How God has led the Advent movement and Advent hope, which is part of that, to be proclaiming a message that is to prepare the people for the day of God when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. But you know what? Jesus hasn't come yet, has he? And you know, I remember, Steve, when right after 9-11 happened and we were talking about starting Advent Hope, I remember saying, yeah, I don't think, I don't think we have, I don't even know if we'll graduate from medical school. And that's still one of my biggest regrets about my 10 years here, is that all th these huge, seemingly cataclysmic events happened at the beginning of my time here, and yet at the end of 10 years, Jesus still hadn't come. Now, Advent Hope, we have a special work to do, but we can't sit back and think that the, the coming of the Lord is dependent specifically on what happens here at Advent Hope. All we can do is be faithful to God. We can't measure our work and say, well, it doesn't seem that the coming of Jesus is any closer, so maybe we're not doing what we're supposed to, or maybe we should just slack off. I don't know. No, we will continue by the grace of God to put every fiber of energy in our being into the proclamation of God's last day message. Whether Jesus comes in two years or 20 years or 100 years, we are living as if it's next month. We are not going to slip into a Laodicean mentality by the grace of God as long as we remember the teachings. So, because, uh, I mean, I say that just because one time I was listening to a speaker online from a country overseas, and she was saying she was frustrated that after five, six, seven years, Jesus still hadn't come yet. But, you know, the work in one specific location, you can't take it upon yourselves as if you are what God is riding on for the whole work to be finished. All you can do is be faithful in the territory that you have. And by the grace of God, we pray that people all over the world will have the same spirit and the same goals. And let God judge at the end of the day. And the last part of this message, I want to do a little Bible study. The first part was just recalling our history. And I want to look at some Bible verses. <clears throat> this is something that I discovered as far as the point that I'm going to make in a Re Revelation Bible study that I was giving every Friday night to some of the locals down in Trinidad. It was a great experience. And one of the things that I like about going through the book of Revelation or Daniel again and again and again is that you see new things every time. And so this is a new thing that I haven't shared publicly yet. So I'm looking forward to going through this. In the book of Revelation, of course, we have the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. And when you come to the opening of the seven seals in Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5, we find that no one was found worthy to open the book that had seven seals. But in Revelation chapter 5, verse 5, we read, it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. 
So the good news is, is that the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed or conquered to open the book with the seven seals. And when I looked at that a little bit more carefully, the question is, is there any significance to the titles of Christ that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David? Because when you look at the opening of the seals, you see that once all the seals are opened, then the book is completely revealed. So in other words, you open up the first seal, part of the book is open. You open up the second seal and a little bit more is open, but only until all seven seals have been loosed, then you have the whole book. And when you look at the seven seals and you see this, you come to the end of chapter 6 and you see some language of the second coming, but yet you still have one more seal, the seventh seal, and in between the sixth and the seventh seal, we see that there is a delay. There is a delay preventing the seventh seal from being opened, and that is until the servants of God, the 144,000, are sealed in their foreheads. And so when I looked at this, I said, okay, if the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the books, why is there a delay between the sixth and the seventh seal? Why is it that we are waiting for the servants of God to be sealed? And I went back to the titles of Jesus, specifically the root of David. What does it mean for Jesus to be the root of David? That means that Jesus became a human being, amen? In fact, in Romans chapter 1, we see that Paul says the good news of the gospel is that Jesus was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Jesus is the root of David, and he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion represents his kingly power and authority, but he's the root of David. He was a human being, and on the basis of his kingly power and of the fact that he became a human being, this gives him the right to open the seals. And in fact, the Bible Commentary makes an interesting statement about this. This is Bible Commentary, Volume 7, page 771. And it says, speaking of this passage, it says, This points directly to Christ's victory in the great controversy with Satan, which is the basis of his right to open the book. Inasmuch as no one else in the entire universe could do this, his victory is unique. An angel could not have taken Christ's place, for the basic issue in the great controversy is the integrity of the character of God, which is expressed in his law. Neither angel nor man could have accomplished this vindication, for they themselves are subject to the law. Only Christ, who is God, and of whose character the law is an expression, could achieve such a vindication of the divine character. This fact is central to the thought of chapter 5. So that's what some of our Adventist theologians say about Christ's victory, that it is tied in to the vindication of God's character. Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords, the line of the tribe of Judah, and also as the root of David, someone who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh of David, he has conquered. In other words, he has vindicated God's character. But there's something even more to that. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11. 
Isaiah chapter 11, to me, becomes very fascinating. And some of, you, some of you may have studied Isaiah chapter 11, but what we are going to see in Isaiah chapter 11 is that in this conquering of Christ, in the great controversy with Satan, that involves the vindication of God's character, that points forward to the coming of Christ, there are two phases to this work of the root of David. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of who? Of Jesse. Who is Jesse? The father of David. Now, if you are an offspring of David, would that also make you an offspring of Jesse? Yes. Now, I don't know exactly why Isaiah uses the root of Jesse and Revelation uses the root of David, but that's how Scripture does it. But what you're going to see is that this is connected. So, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now we're going to clearly see who this branch is. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Verse 3, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Verse 4, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Who is this talking about? Obviously, this is speaking of Jesus. He is the stem, a rod out of the stem of Jesse, a branch that grows out of the roots of Jesse, and he is the one who judges the poor and reproves with equity for the meek, and in righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins. The very next thing you see after that description of Jesus coming out of the root of David or Jesse is verse 6 that says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. Now, when's that talking about? That's speaking of heaven. So the question is, we see Jesus in the first five verses describing his work here on this earth as a human being. He was of the flesh or of the seed of Jesse and of David. And because of his work, the next thing that we see is the wolf and the lamb lying down together in heaven. And the question is, how do you get from Christ's work on this earth to what's happening in heaven? And the answer comes in the last part of the chapter. And this, to me, is absolutely amazing. Let's go to verse 10. Because up through verse 9, it talks about being in heaven. But notice verse 10. Verse 10 shows us how we get to heaven. Christ, as the root of Jesse, did his work here on this earth. We have heaven to look forward to. But the last part of the chapter fills in the blanks that gets us from what Christ did to where we are going to heaven. That, in other words, our glorious future. Let's look, starting in verse 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. So again, you see the root of Jesse, or the root of David. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Now, I don't have time to do a whole study on this, but this ensign is the Sabbath. 
and the rest shall be glorious. You go to Hebrews 4, it talks about the Sabbath rest. And then verse 11 proves my point. Verse 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Notice this. Jesus, as the root of Jesse, he did his work as a human being, as our Savior, here on this earth. And because of that, we have heaven to look forward to. But not only that, Jesus, as a human being, yes, he was the root of Jesse, but there is a second or a continuation of that root that will finish the work here on this earth so that we can get to heaven and that will be the final victory that will allow Jesus as the root of David to unseal the final seal. And it is when he recovers the remnant of his people the second time. So in other words, the work of Christ as a human being and as our Savior on this earth, as the root of Jesse, that's part one. Part two is when Christ recovers the remnant of his people the second time. And we are that people. We are the people that God is recovering that second time to prepare a people to stand in the day of God. And when you look at the seals, the first six seals, Jesus could open those seals because of his victorious work here on this earth as a human being, as our Savior, and now he's our high priest. And the first six seals take you all the way up until nearly the climax of history. But then Revelation 7 tells us that the the seventh seal will not be opened. Christ cannot open that final seal until he has a group of people that can be sealed in their foreheads and that group of people come from that remnant that are being recovered the second time. And then you finish on down and it continues to talk about the remnant all the way through Isaiah 11. Now, here's the one last point I want to make. In Revelation chapter 10, we see where the lion comes in. The lion of the tribe of Judah. So you have Jesus, he's the root of David. Here on this earth, he was victorious and prevailed to open the seals. The root of Jesse or David continues in the remnant of his people, and he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. And when you come to Revelation chapter 10, and Trudy read part of these verses last night in our meeting, Revelation chapter 10, if you've been to Advent Hope for any number of years, you would know, and if you've studied for yourself, Revelation chapter 10 describes when Jesus the mighty angel comes down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow is on his head, his face is as the sun, his feet are as like pillars of fire, and he has a little book open in his hand, which is the unsealed prophecies of the book of Daniel. And then in verse 3, it says, He cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And that lion that is roaring is the same lion who is the lion of the tribe of Judah who prevails to open the book of the seven seals, signifying that he has been victorious in the great controversy in the battle with Satan. And when you look at this carefully, this is what you see. There are two key elements to the victory in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. 
The first victory happened at the cross. Jesus Christ, he's the root of Jesse. He was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and he lived a perfect life, tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, and he died as a perfect sacrifice on the cross. And at that point, he had won a signal victory in the great controversy. But the final victory in the great controversy comes when Jesus raises up the remnant of his people the second time. He brings them from all kindreds, nations, tongues, and peoples. He brings them up to have his character so that he can put his stamp of approval, his seal, the seal of the living God. And when he puts that seal on his people, he will have prevailed in the final conflict with Satan to open the last seal, and then he will come back as King of kings and Lord of lords. And in Revelation 10, when it says that he is as a lion that is roaring, he is announcing that I am King of kings and Lord of lords, and I am raising up the second advent movement so that I will have a group of people upon whom I can place the seal of the living God. And whatever you are doing in your life, whether you're a student, you've graduated, you're a professional, whatever you may be doing, just remember that it is God's purpose for you to be a root of Jesse, the root of David, upon whom God can place his seal, that you will be part of that remnant that has been recovered the second time, so that when Jesus comes back, when he sees you, he will see someone who is ready to stand in the great day of God. Amen. You see, Advent Hope, we've been here for 10 years. Our goal isn't to be just a nice church program of the Loma Linda University Church, a place where you can come to hear a nice sermon on Sabbath, and then as soon as the sun goes down, you're back to watching your three to four hours of TV, and, and the only time you think of Jesus is when you come to Avent Hope once a week. That's not what Avent Hope is about. God didn't raise up the Advent movement, and he didn't bring a revival and reformation that has been happening over the last few years, whether it's through Advent Hope, GYC, or other like-minded groups, just to have a nice church program so that we can maintain a Laodicean lifestyle for the foreseeable future. That's not why we're here. We are here to be part of a movement that is part of the root of David, through whom Christ will do such a work that he will be victorious in the great controversy against Satan because he will be able to say, look, I have recovered a remnant of people in the last days upon whom I have set my seal, and they represent me. And although the hosts of hell and all of Satan's forces will throw their darts and wickedness and whatever else against these people, they will stand true and firm to the truths of Scripture, and they will reflect my character so that no matter what happens, people will know on this earth that there is a people that serves and worships the living God of heaven and earth. That's why we are here. 
So I hope and pray that as we are celebrating the 10 years, we shouldn't really be celebrating. If we celebrate 20 years, nah. Our, our goal is to finish this thing, amen? amen. I, hope, I hope with all of my heart that 10 years from today, we are standing under the tree of life. Amen. Amen. amen? That's what we are here for. So those of you who want to dedicate your lives to the proclamation of the three angels' messages and to the living of it and the experiencing of it, I would invite you to stand with me as we say a prayer of dedication. Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. As we look back on how you have led us step by step, all we can say is praise God. We thank you for Jesus Christ as our leader who loves us, who has done so much for us, who has done everything for us. Lord, please help us to surrender our lives so that we will do everything that we can through your grace and power to follow you. And I pray that when, the hist when we look back upon the history of Advent Hope, when we get to heaven and we stand under the tree of life, that we will see that this has been God's work. It hasn't been the work of humans. That there is no one person that can lay claim to this work, but that it has been your work. And I just pray for each one of us standing that we will be faithful, that we will follow you all of the days of our life and that we will be ready when Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven, and may that day be soon. And may this be our last reunion. May you be here before we need another one. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.